You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back for week three of our Advent Sermon Series. If you are new here to our church, uh, we shared back in week one that uh, uh, if you've ever never celebrated the season of Advent before, think of Advent like uh, the Christian New Year. On the Christian calendar, we actually start with the season of Advent, a season where uh, you and I get a chance to have a new start, uh, a new beginning. We get to sort of use this season as a chance to pivot back to the people that maybe we've lost track of at some point throughout the course of the year, but we want to get back on track of because it's who we want to be. It's who God's calling us to be. And so very fittingly, we're calling this sermon series A New Way. So much of what Jesus came to bring, so much of what we're celebrating this Advent season is that when Jesus comes, he brings a new way of living, a new way of being, a new way of thinking, a new way of behaving and navigating the world. But if you're anything like me, throughout the course of the year, you get busy, you get anxious, you get preoccupied, and so what do you do? You revert back to the old ways. Amen? And so I don't know about you, but I I need, every year, this time of year, I need the season of Advent to bring me back, to reintroduce me and to reinvite me to the new ways that Jesus is calling me to inhabit, the new person God is calling me to be. You see, the season of Advent is all about learning about where God is showing us where and how we can go out and find the new. And another big theme of Advent is Advent is also the season that teaches us how maybe it's time to go and find it or maybe it's time to wait for it. Maybe the next person who has the move is God. And where it's God who's responsible for doing the new thing in us, and it's ours to wait upon. And I want to stay here just for a quick moment because this theme of waiting, again, if you've never been in a church that talks, uh, celebrates the season of Advent, uh, waiting is something we talk about often. Mary had to wait. Elizabeth and Zechariah had to wait. The people of Israel had to wait on Jesus. And so this theme shows up over and over and over again. And so this spiritual discipline of waiting is a very, very central part of Advent, and I don't like it (laughs) at all. There's spiritual gifting and spiritual weakness. This is far on the spiritual weakness side for me. I do not enjoy waiting. And quite frankly, what I found is that when it comes to being the new me or the old me, almost always the experience of having to wait makes me revert back to the old me. It makes a lot of us revert back to our old ways when we have to wait. Why? Why? Well, Because if you're anything like me, number one, we don't like waiting. Number two, when you're forced to wait, something happens, at least in me, where I begin to question if the thing is actually going to arrive at all. Sometimes when I have to wait on God to do a new thing in my life, maybe a new thing in my family or in my relationships or in my mindset or in my life, sometimes I go, well, maybe it's never going to arrive, so maybe I should just sort of fix it on my own. And so what I do 
What we do as human beings often is instead of waiting for the thing that's good for us, best for us, instead of waiting for the thing that's great, we settle for the thing that's guaranteed. Oftentimes we have to wait. We settle for the thing that's not great, but guaranteed. And I'll give you an example of this. Several years ago, uh, my wife and I went out for my birthday. Okay? My birthday was smack dab in the middle of the week, so we couldn't do anything fancy pants on the weekend. We had to go out for dinner, and that was about it. And we failed to make reservations, mistake number one. And so um, when we're going out, for, going out to eat, there's a couple of, so I am someone who has very high expectations. And so when it's my birthday, I'm like, we're going to go to the newest restaurant. It's going to be so sweet, and we're going to try out the new food. And it's going to be awesome. And so we didn't make reservations, so we just show up to these restaurants like a bunch of newbies. And we show up, and we walk up to these restaurants. The first one we walk up to, we walk up, and we're like, okay, we're excited. We walk up to the hostess. She goes, okay, sir, that's great. We're so glad you're having your birthday. That'll be an 85-minute wait. Okay. You can take a little buzzer thing, sit down. We'll see you in about an hour and a half. So we leave that restaurant. And right down the way, there's another restaurant that we really like. So we're like, okay, we'll go to this one. This will be new. We haven't done this one in a while, and this will be fun. And so we walk in. Sure enough, walk up to the hostess, and she goes, oh, sir, we're so glad you're here. That'll be 95-minute wait, okay? We actually have a whole library of books if you want to read an entire book while you're waiting for your birthday dinner this evening. You can do that. Or board games. Go over here. That's fun, too. So we leave that restaurant. I'm starting to get really hangry. Some of you know this experience. You're like losing your sanity a little bit. You're losing all of your graciousness and kindness a little bit. It's not even a birthday anymore. I just want to friggin' eat. So we show up to this final restaurant, and we're like, okay, this is the one. Let's go. Let's walk in. And the hostess gave us those eyes, like, oh, sweet you. <laughs> she goes, yes, sir. Um, so you didn't, you didn't make a reservation. Okay, okay. Well, I think we can have you um, next week. Would you like to come back next week? Next week, you can come back. We'll, we'll seat you then. So we leave that restaurant. Defeated. I'm angry. And so what we did that night was instead of waiting for the thing that was going to be great, what did we do? We settled for the thing that was guaranteed. And friends, what restaurant is guaranteed to be open at 10 p.m. on a Friday night? Taco Bell. We reverted back to my old ways, college ways. And if, quite frankly, back in college, Taco Bell would have been a fancy night out. So, But, um, well, as the story goes, uh, my digestive system uh, is not now uh, what it used to be back when I was 18. And so, uh, as my father would like to say, that evening when we sat down to eat, uh, we did not buy the food. We rented the food. <laughs> Some of you are new here, and you're like, dear Lord, I did not realize we were going that real, that fast. Um, it's kind of disgusting, but uh, welcome to Advent, uh, and welcome to the peak. But we do this. We do this. We do this in so many spheres of our lives. Whenever we're forced to wait, we say, man, bump that. I don't want the new thing anymore. I'll just go back to the old, the familiar, the known, the comfortable. And so this Advent... Um, I just want to challenge you with a question. I want to challenge you with a question. That what if you didn't make that decision this year? As I'm looking out upon you, and I'm sure the folks who are tuning in online to this, I'm willing to bet that most of the people who are stumbling into this Advent season, you're waiting on something. 
I don't know what you're waiting on, but you're waiting on something. Some of us are waiting on things as it relates to our job. We're waiting for our job to get better. We're waiting for a different job. We're waiting for the issues in our job to get fixed. Maybe for you, it's marital. It's relationship-based. The person you're dating, you're engaged to, you're married, you're, you're waiting for changes and health to finally seep back in again. Maybe the thing you're waiting on relates to your kids. You've been struggling with your kids. You have issues with your children and parenting them. It's you're waiting on a change. You're waiting through a breakthrough. Maybe for you, it's your faith. Maybe your faith has just felt stale and meaningless for a really long time. Or maybe for you, you're just coming into Advent and you can't even pinpoint where it is. You just know that life writ large has just felt really ugh lately. Going through the motions. Everything feels the same. And I want to challenge you this Advent season. What, what would it look like for you? What would it take to abandon the old habits, the old patterns, the old ways of solving all of your issues? What if you dared, dared to wait on God to do something new in you? Fortunately for us, uh, the scripture passage for today, our story for today recounts a story about someone who dared to do that. And we're going to see how it went for him, okay? So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, go ahead and uh, take those out and return back to Isaiah chapter 35, or if you've got smart devices and you want to follow along there, that works too. Just to give everybody a little bit of context of uh, the book of Isaiah, if you're new to studying the Bible, new to studying uh, passages in the Old Testament. Isaiah, I talked about this last time, Isaiah was actually written uh, several, several years before Jesus shows up. So several hundred years, well before Jesus ever shows up. And it takes place, it's written, during a time when the people of Israel are, how I say, not actually doing a lot of good. Okay, they're very rebellious, they're not listening to God, they're not interested in God, they're worshiping idols, they're worshiping false gods, worshiping a bunch of gods, they're mistreating each other, they're mistreating and uh, committing violence against people in neighboring countries and nations, and so they're way off track from the people God called them to be. So bad that there was only a few people who were actually interested in listening and connecting with God. One was the guy named Isaiah. And because of that, Isaiah was given the very unfortunate job of being the one who had to go and relay the information onto the Israelites that they were acting a fool. So Jesus said, God says to Isaiah, says, this is uh, your job. You're going to be a prophet. And what a prophet means is you're going to go and you're going to tell the truth, the hard and uncomfortable truth, that the way they're living, the way my people are acting is leading them towards destruction. It's, it's leading it towards their own harm, their own pain. And so he does this. For the first several chapters of the book of Isaiah, he's sort of saying, hey, this is not going to go well. We really should turn around. We should really stop reverting back to the old us and keep moving forward to the people God's calling us to be, the people that we know are supposed to be. And, they, and so he's writing all these elaborate speeches. He's giving all these amazing talks about how and calling them back to be different. And so what the people of Israel do is they say, Nah, we're not interested. Like, nah, dude, we're good. We're good. Like, we're fine. We don't want any part of that. Uh, we hear you. We're just not interested. And so Isaiah is about to quit. He's been given this role by God, this job from God. He's about to bail. And 
just when he's about to bail, he gets this vision. He gets this vision of what we see in Isaiah chapter 35, this vision where one day, maybe not today, but one day, Isaiah, my people are going to hear me. They're going to get sick and tired of their destructive ways. They're going to get tired of their same old patterns. They're going to get tired and they're going to turn and they're going to run back into my loving arms again. And at that time, I'm going to make not only them new, but I'm going to make the whole thing new. I'm going to make the whole world new. I'm going to rejuvenate and restore all that's been broken, all that's been lost. The only problem is, for this vision, you're going to have to wait. And so historically, we actually know. This is the way it breaks down. So look at this timeline. Uh, so Isaiah receives this vision here. They don't turn around. They don't fix their broken habits. They don't stop doing all the awful things that they're doing. And so eventually, Assyria invades Israel, destroys and uh, plummets the whole town and hauls them off to live as exiles for several years. And so it's not till 70 years, 70 years after he receives this vision, does it actually come true. It's not until 70 years does he get to see glimpses of them returning back and being restored and redeemed and reconciled to God. If you do the math, 70 years, that's after Isaiah is gone. He doesn't get to see this vision ever come to fruition. And I'll be honest with you, whenever I read stories like this, whenever I read passages like this in the Bible, I just want to like go back in time and ask them like, how? <laughs> like, why? Why did you trust this? Why did you wait? Why did you believe this? Like, you didn't actually get to see it come true. Like, how were you able to believe and to hold on to and to trust that God was going to make good on his promise? Maybe you ask those same questions. Maybe sometimes when you feel like you're being asked to wait on God for something, you ask those same questions. And so some of you are like, yeah, that's actually why I just don't. I just don't do it. Like I just would, instead of waiting on God, I just find my own solutions. And uh, they're fine. They work. They're great. They're, they're, they're fine, kind of, sort of. Every time they work some of the time, right? So maybe it works for you. And so what the sermon is today is it's actually not any attempt by me to pressure you or to coerce you or to try to guilt you into waiting on God to deliver the thing that it is that you find yourself starving for right now. But what it is, is it's an invitation. Advent is an invitation that if you are someone for whom the old solution, the old ways are not working anymore. It's an invitation to consider an alternative. To consider waiting for the solution to your particular issue and problem to come from someone else. And friends, I'm going so, to shoot, shoot it straight with you. I'm going to be totally fair about this. If you decide to leave here today and continue your Advent journey and decide to do that, decide, okay, yep, I got this thing I'm waiting on, I'm waiting on this to be fixed, or I'm waiting on this to be solved, I'm waiting for this to be redeemed in my life, 
and I'm going to choose to wait and to trust and to, to sort of hope that God's going to bring it if you do that. Uh, the book of Isaiah, this, this chapter that we're reading, actually comes with disclaimers. It comes with a warning label. That if you choose to do so, just know, here they are, right? It comes with two things that are not guaranteed and one thing that is guaranteed. So if you decide ever in your life to say, you know what, I'm going to wait on God to bring this thing into my life. There's no guarantee that it's going to happen by way of miraculous means or ordinary means. There's also no guarantee that it's going to happen now, instantaneously, or in the future, some of you are like, Kyle, I don't, I'm not sure. This is very compelling. I don't know how many people are going to sign up to, to wait on God for this. Um, but it comes with uh, this third and final guarantee. Something that I know to be true of my own life. And something I know to be true every single time I read these stories. That if you decide to wait on God, there is a lot of things that are unknown. But one thing that we do know is that when he does show up, it will transcend your every expectation. Let's break them down. Let's break them down. Ready? Let's go back to our passage. In Isaiah chapter 35, let's look at it specifically at verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2. He starts out this way. So again, unpacking this vision, he says he sees that this vision, this future he sees is one where the desert and the dry land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom and rejoice with joy and singing. Skip down. We will see the Lord's glory, the splendor of our God. And so again, Part of what he's seeing, this future, if he decides to wait on God, there will be a future where the desert places, maybe these are literal desert places for you, maybe these are figurative desert places for you, uh, these places will be made new. Life will spring forth from them again. It won't be dead forever. But notice, notice, nowhere in those two verses does it say how it's going to come how God is going to do that. It doesn't say whether or not God's going to do this miraculously through just sort of like zapping those little desert places and whew, now they're bursting forth with new life, or if God's going to do so through the natural processes of our world, of our relationships. We read another story in Scripture like this, uh, actually, uh, in the, also in the Old Testament. It's the story of Moses and the Israelites. So they're wandering around the wilderness. They're wandering around the desert, literally. And while they're out there, they're en route to the promised land. The Israelites are grumpy. They're complaining. Those of you who've been on a road trip with toddlers, it's kind of like that. They're screaming at you, we're thirsty. Well, you just drank something, but we want more. And so they're screaming and yelling at Moses. He's like, I'm going to need Jesus, you do something, I'm going to kill him. And so uh, what God does is God says, Moses, here, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to help you out. Go over here, and if you strike this rock, water is going to gush forth from it. You've seen this passage before, Numbers chapter 20, verse 11. Moses raised his hand, struck the rock with his staff twice, and flood started pouring, a flood of water started pouring out from this rock. Now, there's two ways to translate this story. Number one, this could be a miraculous story where some way, somehow, Miraculously, Moses struck a rock and water defied all physics and things and started shooting out of it. Or scientists have also, uh, who are also scientists who are believers, have gone back and reread these passages and said, well, it's also possible, also possible that what happened was God led Moses to a rock that had the ability to retain water. 
So sandstone, limestone, these, uh, these rocks that are really brittle and they're like sort of like the outset of caves that hold a bunch of water. God led Moses to that, struck it, and then the water started gushing out that way. Now, whenever I tell both translations of this story, it's always super funny because some of you have a face uh, right now uh, that looks sort of like whenever I describe a card trick to my five-year-old. Like, oh man, it's not magic. <laughs> but for me, when I read these stories and I read them in both ways, neither of them negatively impact my faith. In fact, when I read that God could have done this naturally or supernaturally, miraculously or ordinarily, what I read is that God knows his creation so perfectly. God knows what God built so comprehensively that God knows where the answers are. And so I'm saying that to you as a really, really important reminder that right now if you're waiting on something, you're waiting on God to do something in your life, look in both areas. Don't just look in the supernatural realm and say, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be satisfied until God just like, and then, then it happens. Don't only look there. There may be other ways in which God is working in and through relationships, in and through the natural work, uh, the natural order of our world to bring about the very future you've been hoping for and longing for. And both can be God. So that's the first thing. If you decide to wait on God, be prepared that you will not have control over the how. So you've got to have a wide gaze as to where and how that help may come. Let's keep going. Go back to Isaiah chapter 35, specifically pick it up with verses 5 and 6. He keeps going. He keeps talking about this future. He keeps talking about this vision. He says this. You can go ahead and put verses 5 and 6 up there, Ken. He talks about uh, in the future, uh, in this future when all things are going to be redeemed and reconciled and made new. He says that uh, he sees that the eyes of the blind are going to be opened. The ears of the deaf will be cleared. The lame will leap like deer and the tongue of the speechless will sing. In other words... What this part of the vision teaches us is that if you ever decide to wait on God for help, you not only might not know how, but you also may be relinquishing control over the when. The when that help, that aid will come. When I read this passage in particular, immediately... The, the image that comes to mind, what it reminds me of, are all the passages in the Gospels where Jesus did this very work, didn't he? When Jesus was here on earth, what did he do? He gave sight to the blind. He helped those who couldn't hear, hear. He helped those who were disabled regain ability, right? He did that sometimes in an instant. But the hard part about each of those stories is that they also remind us that for every person he healed and made new in an instant, there was at least another person who wouldn't be. What about the people who Jesus wasn't able to reach geographically because he only had 33 years on earth. He only had three years of active ministry. He couldn't expand the whole globe. What about the people who came and suffered right after Jesus died, or the people who were suffering and died right before Jesus was born. Like, there's so many places in the Gospels where it's like, those stories are beautiful, but they also draw attention to the fact that some people 
had to wait a short time. Some are still waiting. And I know many of you well enough to know you know a little something about that. You know what it's like to ask and to plead for God to come and to help. And some of you, that help came in an instant. And some of you are still waiting. You're still waiting. We had this experience um, actually as a church in our church community. If you never met this man, I'm going to introduce you to uh, Mike McGuinn. There's a picture of me and Mike about six months ago. Mike is um, what I consider, uh, what, I used to, what I call an OG peaker. So he's one of our originals. He helped in many ways found this church and start this church. He volunteered and pretty much every capacity possible uh, in the tech team, uh, to children's ministry, to so many different places. Even shortly after I started here, became a leader. He and I became really good friends, and I was like, golly, this is exactly the type of person that we want in a place of influence. He led men's ministry and participated in small groups. I mean, the impact this man had on this church, I can't, I can't understate it. And about a little over a year ago, uh, Mike was diagnosed with late-stage pancreatic cancer. And so how we've spent uh, the better part of this last year is praying for Mike. And how we prayed for Mike is we prayed for healing now. We wanted healing now, not later, now. And so we had several conversations he and I and we had group times of prayer with him and we would pray and ask and say Jesus if it's if it's possible please come and take this out of his body now and then uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, we lost Mike on Thanksgiving day And I think it's important um, for you to hear as your pastor that these experiences not only make me sad, but they make me mad. I love that dude. I love that dude. And so there are days for me when I can't, I can't, reconcile it and I, and I get angry and I get confused and I don't understand why it transpires this way and, and, and the when, the when, why can't it be now, why does it sometimes have to be later, I don't know. And then I remember. I remember one of the last really meaningful conversations I had with Mike right over there in my office about two or three months ago. And right before we left my office, Mike said to me, he said, Kyle, I just want you to know that I've accepted that even if Jesus doesn't defeat my cancer now, he's going to defeat it in the end. In that moment, Mike was the minister to me. He showed me that those who wait on God 
never wait in vain. He was a living testimony of one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite authors. And friends, if you're trying to figure out what the Christian story is, like what it is in one sentence, here it is. This is what we believe. The Jesus story is that the worst thing that ever happens to you It'll never be the last thing. That's what we believe. That the worst thing will never be the final thing. I'll close here. Banji, you can go ahead and come on up. I'll close by returning to the passage one more time. One more time. Because you go back to this passage, you go back to Isaiah chapter 35, and what you'll find when you get all the way down to verse 10, what you'll find when you get all the way down to verse 10, is that Isaiah, our author of our passage for today, knew a little something, knew a little something about what our brother Mike experienced. You see, again, as we pointed out earlier, Isaiah didn't know. Uh, when uh, the, uh, the, the ultimate manifestation of this vision would come true. He didn't know when all things were going to be made new. He knew that most likely he was going to have to wait, that it was going to come later. But he's encouraged. He's rejuvenated by this vision. He sees this in verse 10. He says, but I do know, I do know that what I've seen, what I've seen with my own two eyes is that eventually the Lord's ransomed ones will return, and they'll enter Zion with singing, with everlasting joy upon their heads. Happiness and joy will overwhelm them. Grief and groaning, all of it will flee away forever and ever. So you go back to what we shared earlier, what Isaiah is testifying to, is that I might not have control You and I might not have control over the how or the when, but what I do know for certain is that if I do wait on God, it will transcend my every expectation. It'll blow up anything my imagination ever could conceive of. That the future that awaits those who wait on God is going to be something, Ephesians chapter 3, it's greater than we can ever ask, think, or imagine. It's going to be better than anything you or I would have ever cooked up on our own. And some of you are like, well, Kyle, like, I, don't, I don't even know what that looks like. What does that even mean to believe in a future that like, I can't conceive of? Well, it means for Cindy, for Jacob, for anybody in this room who's ever lost someone before. It means that if you wait on God, There will come a day where you're not only reunited with your person, but you'll get to experience eternity forever. You ever think about that? Eternity is a long time. Like, I believe there's going to be one day that we're so far into it that the suffering that we experienced here are going to be like, oh, oh, that, that, that's, yeah, that did happen a long time. I've just been so surrounded and engulfed by how beautiful all of this is. It means for those of us who show up 
every day and we have disabilities, we have health issues, and it's always so chronic and it's always so nagging and it always impedes our quality of life. It means that one day you will not only have all of those things restored to you, but we're going to be given, the scriptures promise we're going to be given even more abilities. Personally, I'm holding out hope that we can fly. Okay? It means that those who suffered in poverty in this world, there will come a day when not only all their, not only all their needs will be met, but they're, they're being promised a future where no one will ever forget about them ever again. Ever again. It means that there's a future waiting for us. And if you decide to wait on God, you're waiting on a future uh, where those of you who have conflicts, you've got conflict with a family member, a, a, a parent, a spouse, an ex or something, that someday we'll be so wrapped up in this reconciling power that we're going to find surprising friendships with people that we've been taught to do nothing but hate our entire lives. Simply put, Simply put, the promise is if you wait on God, you're being promised a future that's infinitely better than anything you'd have the ability to create on your own. And that's because, friends, if it's left up to us, my will, my strength, my ideas, it'll never come. I want to say one final thing before we wrap up. One final thing. As a preacher, I understand that every time I, I talk about this vision, I always do it a lot during Easter time too. We talk about this vision of the future and resurrection and hope and eternal life. I understand as a preacher that sometimes when I say these words and I, and I cast vision for this future that we're all waiting upon, some of you hear that and it's easier for some of you to believe in that, to wait on that, to trust that that future is coming. It's easier for some of you than it is for others. Others of us, it's a struggle, isn't it? Some days you wake up and you're like, man, I don't know if it's true, but daggone, it better be true. That hope better come. That life better And I want to say something really quickly to you before we close up. And I want, again, I think it's really important as a pastor you hear me say these words that, friends, if ever you find yourself in that place, we're waiting on God's help. Doesn't come naturally to you. I want you to know as your pastor, it doesn't always come naturally for me either. That there's days for me to Someone asked me the other day, how do you know? How do you know all of this heaven stuff's going to happen? I said, I don't. I just really freaking hope it does. And honestly, any pastor who tries to give you a different answer than that is lying to you. <laughs> On those days, I want you to know when you feel like it's hard to wait, it's hard to trust. I want you to know that I've been there too. And the reason why I'm still here the reason why I still wait. Friends, hear me. The reason why I still follow this dude is because on those days, 
it's not necessarily out of faith that I wait. It's that I'm planning on making damn sure that he makes good on all of his promises to me. I plan on making damn sure that he makes good on those promises he made to you to redeem and to recover and to reconcile what we have lost. And so just consider this an open invitation that if in the life to come, you and I become, that we, we walk in together as the ransomed ones and you can't go into the gates yet because you need to, like a line was forming of people who said, I wanna go in, I do wanna be a part of it, but, but first, I got some fricking questions. I got some things I need answered. Just know if that's you. And you don't wanna wait alone. I'll stand with you. Deal? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. All God's children said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.